Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, a.k.a. Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. Testing, 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 testing. Ha ha, Clinton Dix. Okay. Ha ha, Clinton Dix. Eddie Lacy. Hello, 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 hello. Are you just going to start naming every like irrelevant Packers player? Yeah. Donald Driver. Donald, Donald Driver, all-time leading Burnett. Packer in history. Morgan Burnett on the Browns now. Okay, that sounds good. Okay. And in three, two, one. All right. Welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore B-Town podcast. It is Friday, January the 10th, and we are on the eve of the Baltimore Ravens playing on Divisional Weekend for the first time in five years. It's better than Christmas Eve. I'm just going to throw that out there. This is the best. I'm going to have trouble sleeping tomorrow, and I'm not going to have trouble going ham bone Saturday night game. Couldn't be better. A little disappointed that the Ravens are wearing purple jerseys. Not going to lie. I wanted those all-black unis. Uh, did a little digging. You can wear a alternate jersey or your third jersey, third kit once in the playoffs. Ravens kit. didn't do it. I don't know why, but... I would have liked to see those all blacks. A little disappointed, but other than that, happy, ready to go. Done so much studying into the entire history of the 2019 Titans. I have a monster article ready to go, and we're pumping some good stuff out on the website, so you guys should go check it out. What website is that? 
BaltimoreBeatdown.com backslash Kyle P. Barber. Thank you. Look at me. Just a big pro over here. Uh, yeah, dude, it does. Uh, it's got an interesting feel to it. I don't know if it's fully sunken in for me yet. And yeah, I don't want to sound like a loser fan because they have been here before. But uh, it's not very often that you're a day away from your team lining up as the one seed. And uh, it does feel kind of cool. First time in Ravens history. So yeah, it does feel pretty cool. The Ravens have all eyes on them. Lamar Jackson has all eyes on them. And they obviously have that salty, sour taste in their mouth from the way things ended last season. But just general general view, it feels like, you know, that team snuck into the playoffs week 17, did some, you know, backyard footballs, tied a couple shoestrings together when they had to, and snuck into the postseason. This team has known that they are a contender, that they're legit, that they can line up and beat the best teams in the NFL for about two months now. And that's a big difference between this year and last year. So I know a lot of fans have the laundry in mind from last year and a couple years past, as you like to say, but this team feels different. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, And, you know, as I lean back in my chair here and, you know, have a very relaxed uh, feel to what's going on, just like I have a relaxed feel as a fan, um, it is light years away from where they were last year because last year it felt like a team kind of held together by bubblegum and Band-Aid. And, you know, they were kind of scraping by these wins at the skin of their teeth, barely beating bad teams like the Falcons. This year, it's a totally different identity. They've firebombed the entire league, taking out a ton of good teams along the way, despite uh, what some people on Twitter might believe. Uh, But that's a whole different story. But uh, yeah, it's the best and most complete Ravens team I've ever watched, and I can't wait to watch them suited up on Saturday. It's going to be a blast. Got the lights going. Shame we don't have the pyrotechnics, but look at the little lasers, and uh, hopefully we'll see some Ravens touchdowns, and they bust the strobe lights out throughout the stadium, which has been so fun. Uh, Bashadi invested so much money into basically a touchdown celebration, which is hilarious to me, but very cool at the same time. Oh, the uh, Bud Light uh, Pyrotechnics brought to you by Fanatics, uh, sponsored by uh, MNT Bank. And ruined by the Tennessee Titans. So if you want a reason to hate the Tennessee Titans right now, don't have a lot of uh, rivalry in this decade against them necessarily, but they lit their own field on fire, and Mr. Bashadi had just put, I believe, $5 million into upgrading the Pyrotechnics for the pregame intros and the titans ruined it so thanks a lot titans yeah it's it's a really tough look for them they ruined a very fun thing for the rest of the league i'm trying to you know i'm struggling to come up with what an equivalent for like what happened to bashadi on that one was like i don't even know that's a tough one i guess like your buddy gives you like a surefire stock or something and then it just the company like closes announces that it is Get be merging with another company and dissolving or something. Oh, like when my buddy told me to buy into some obscure like Bitcoin two years ago. Steven Seagal Seagal's Bitcoin. No, it wasn't the Bitcoin two gen. It was two gen. No, it's a relatively uh, active uh, cryptocurrency, uh, well known. I'm not going to say what it is per se uh, because it's not doing great. But you can (laughs) you can maybe guess. Yikes! I'm I'm just going to go down with that ship. I think that's fine. Go for it. It'll come back. I I remember reading a story off track about how a gentleman had like 50,000 bitcoins on a flash drive and the flash drive, like Bitcoin was nothing at one point and it got taken to a dump and he paid tons of people when Bitcoin just got fired up to go scour through a dump and ended up finding a flash drive that had 50,000 bitcoins on it when Bitcoin was like right at its highest stock. 
And that's always a funny story for me. That's my Bitcoin story. That's kind of sick. It was he the same guy that bought, literally used all of his Bitcoins to like buy one pizza and it wound up that they were worth like millions of dollars during the boom a couple of years ago? It was not even a 24 karat gold flaked pizza. But my favorite conspiracy theory in all of sports is that the uh, Golden State Warriors paid Kevin Durant and paid Boogie Cousins with Bitcoin. I love it. But like I, what I never got about that is like you could just investigate them and then like whatever it equates to money wise, you can just put that up against whatever the salary cap penalty would be. Yeah, but Bitcoin is is black market, bro. Well, that's why they brought Durant there was to like be disruptive and like be a businessman, and that didn't really work out well to like for him at all. Yeah, but I just think it's funny. Yeah, it's just like he thought he was gonna be like this tech guy, like wearing turtlenecks and like walking across sand hill drinking like <laughs> smoothies and stuff it's like well kd maybe just be a basketball player you're seven feet tall. shut up and dribble as some very smart people have said you're seven feet tall you don't blend in your turtleneck kd go to brooklyn the second hottest hipster place in the planet well imagine him like on the set of an episode of like silicon valley like talking to like thomas middle ditch and he's just like off the frame because all the other actors and characters are too like short for him that would be a good. That would be a good shot. That would be a great shot. And then that would have been very own brand for that show. Actually, I stopped watching it the last couple of years, but it would have. I didn't know season finale. I didn't even know I was watching it. It was like the seventh episode. I didn't know. Yeah, it just I like ended. randomly. Yeah, randomly caught up. I didn't know how many episodes there were going to be, and all of a sudden, it like spoiler alert, it skips like twenty years into the future. All of a sudden, and you're like, what? What the hell just happened? Yeah, I think it lost some steam after uh, T.J. Miller left, which happens. It did a little bit. It got a little. Like they circled back to some things, a la Star Wars, but um, it was still good, still good. T.J. Miller was definitely one of the pistons driving that engine, and that's our TED talk on uh, Silicon Valley. Yeah, I mean, I guess there is a playoff football game that the team that we root for slash cover is going to be playing in tomorrow. Uh, prior to us getting into analyzing that, we had a very cool interview with RDT from Barstool Sports. He is their Orioles blogger. You might be curious as to why we'd be bringing him on to this episode. Well, he's actually a Titans fan, lifelong Titans fan. Uh, so he has some really good insights on what it was like growing up as a Titans fan in the Baltimore area, what it's been like for the last several years, and uh, you know what he's kind of feeling going into this game. So it's about a 45-minute interview, ton of fun. He gave us a lot of really good stuff, fun guy. So check him out on Twitter. Let me pull his handle up. I think it's E D I T T I. Uh, one second. Yeah, E-D-I-T-T-I-22. Check him out for anything Orioles and uh, anything Titans ahead of this game. So uh, without further ado, we're going to throw it to that interview, and then we are going to come back on the other side with our analysis. Nash Vegas, baby. Love it. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest. It is the Barstool Sports Baltimore Orioles blogger, and noted Tennessee Titans fan, it's Barstool RDT. How you doing tonight, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you got it, brother. So just let's get a quick background on you here, just to sort of help our listeners get acquainted. Uh, sort of explain like how the whole Orioles blogging gig kind of came about for you and just what that entails for you these days. We got into this a little bit with your boy Banks on the show. He kind of told a funny story about how you were like, Billy Ripken senior or something when you started writing. So we thought that was funny, but uh, just to sort of hear it from your perspective. Yeah. So, so I had, I was, I went to Towson, um, went to, I forget what it was. It was, I forget even what class it was. He had to go to this almost like a job fair type thing. Um, didn't want to go. I was like, I'm not going to get anything. Uh, 
anything out of this. This is dumb. So I was like, whatever, I'll go, I'll get my grade and I'll leave. And I met um, Chris Jones, who is also known as Goob to some um, uh, uh, Russell Street report readers uh, from a while ago. He was there looking for an intern for Utah Street Report, which is Russell Street Report is the Ravens website. And they had a sister, you know, blog called Utah Street Report. Right. And I, you know, I took his card and I, I told him that I had some stuff written and, and, you know, I'd love to send it over to him and see if I could become an intern. So I did that for the summer. I believe it was 2013 that summer and, you know, finished out the, um, the season just maybe doing like two or three blogs a week. Not much them but i liked it um you know it, it, it was neat it was kind of my first real like oh sit down and internship and you know file this blog away to to you know an editor and all that stuff so i did that and right around i want to say december of 2013 um i you know i followed barstool and had read it throughout my you know my time at towson and all that um and i saw that they were starting a dmv page naturally that sparked my attention and i guess this Kind of this part of the story will kind of lead in later. Um, they uh, Barstool Nate had tweeted out that he was looking for he he was appointed head of Barstool DMV. Um, so he said, you know, hey guys, we're looking for uh, Ravens writers again. This is right around the end of the season. It was like late November, early December. And and me not being a Ravens fan, I, I emailed him and I said, hey, I saw your kind of help wanted ad. I'm I'm not a Ravens fan. I'm a I'm an Orioles fan. Um, here's a bunch of the blogs I wrote and I, I sent him pretty much every blog I had written. And he said, you know, this is good. He said, uh, although it is, you know, the dead point in baseball season, let's, let's circle back around to this right around spring training. And, you know, we'll talk then. So I, I kept in contact. Um, I'd send him my blogs every, every time I wrote them. And again, just kind of reminded him I was there um, right around, you know, middle of February spring training came. He said, you know, Hey, I got the okay from Prez. If, if, you know, you want to be my, or my Orioles guy, you're, you know, more than welcome, well, you know, and, and let's get this thing started. So ever since that, you know, I mean, I blogged that whole 2014 season, which was just so much fun. I, I, I couldn't have had a, a better baseball season to write about, you know, especially my first time writing on Barstool. No one had really, I, I don't even think there was an Orioles blog on Barstool before 2014. And then, you know, the 96 win season and the ALCS and all that stuff, um, it was just a great year to kind of break that wall down. And, and, you know, it's, it's just been a bundle of joy ever since. Yeah. I mean, it was the perfect time to get in right when the whole bucket era really started to kind of take off. And, uh, you know, you mentioned, obviously you went to Towson. So I'm sort of assuming you grew up in the area. I don't really know this story quite yet, but diehard Orioles fan and everything. We wanted to keep this mainly football centric. So the Titans, man, what's the deal there? Yeah. So I, I did, I'm from Howard County. Um, you know, went to Reservoir High School, um, from there went to Howard Community, uh, and then Towson, and, you know, just kind of pretty much stayed local, live in Glen Burnie now. But my mom, my mom is from Pittsburgh, um, actually Green, Greensburg, Latrobe, right around that, you know, kind of, kind of actually near where Terrell Pryor grew up. Um, so right in that area, so basically Steeler country. My dad's from Long Island, New York, grew up right down the street from um, Jerry Seinfeld's father's diner, so, you know, He's literally on Staten Island, you know, Long Island. Um, so he's a Giants fan. My mom's a Steeler fan. And growing up, my, my dad's always been that sports fan. He's also a Yankees fan. So he's seen a billion and a half championships. And I even remember watching the Super Bowl with him a couple of years when the second time the Giants beat the Patriots. You know, the 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 bomb to Gronk falls and the 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 ball hits the ground and it's zeros on the clock and he just kind of goes, all right. And he turns it off, and you know that that's just kind of sports fan he is. I'm, I'm like, why aren't you celebrating? And he's like, I 
I've seen a bunch of these. It doesn't really faze me anymore. So he, <laughs> Must you know, be nice. growing up, he was never, yeah, I know. Right. But growing up, he was never like, you know, here's, here's your Tiki Barber Jersey. We're going down to Landover to watch the Giants. He's, you know, he was like, whatever, if you, if you want to like the Giants, that's fine. If not, I, you know, just don't like the Redskins. And my mom's kind of the same way. Hey, I, I don't, you know, you don't have to like the Steelers, but I would prefer you not to root for the Ravens. So I was like, all right, you know, I, I could be a middle ground person. You know, I was probably eight or nine, and I saw a Titans game on TV. Um, you know, I saw the, the two-tone blue, Eddie George, Steve McNair, uh, Kevin Dyson, Wycheck, you know, all those guys. And, uh, and I was Jeff Fisher. Like, I love I those colors. Yeah, Jeff Fisher, you know, all, Samari Roll, just everyone. And I'm like, I love those colors. I love those jerseys. And then, you know, a, a year later, uh, you know, the anniversary of it was yesterday was the um, – like the I remember, like, the first actual football game I, like, sat down and was invested in. I was like nine or 10 years old and it was the, uh, the music city miracle. And then just following that playoff run was, was, you know, that Super Bowl run was awesome. And I remember crying when they, you know, they lost by an inch and, and it's, it's kind of just been, you know, it's been up and down since then, but that's kind of just how I became a Titans fan. That's an interesting uh, story. I don't know if I've ever really heard one like that, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a super intense rivalry, the Ravens and the Titans around the time after, you know, you mentioned they go on that Super Bowl run and then the Ravens kind of they go on the Super Bowl run of their own in the early 2000s there. I mean, you know, I'm obviously I mentioned I was born in 95, so I'm a little bit too young to have really vivid memories of that time. Do you kind of have any specific memories of that Ravens Titans rivalry that you can like draw on? I remember being at a Best Buy for that that famous the 2000 the the, the playoff game. Um during the Ravens Super Bowl run, I was literally in a Best Buy, and I saw Al Del Greco miss, you know, the one field goal, and that's kind of where everything started going bad for the Titans. And then I remember watching the rest of the game at home. But um, I mean, it was just like so. I'm born in 1989, so it's I, you know, I, I am older, so I, I do remember these games. But it was just, I mean, you you, see, you watch these old NFL films of the hits and the, the collisions, and it was like, it was a street fight every single game. And as much as people in the mid-2000s was, you know, all Ravens-Steelers, Ravens-Steelers, I feel like Titans-Ravens was double that. I mean, it was every hit was like that. And again, because you had guys like, you had Eddie George and, and, and Ray Lewis going head up every single play. And I mean, it was, you know, they were it was a freak offense versus, you know, that unreal defense. And it, I mean, it was it was like a game of blitz where people were getting thrown around and it was like every drive you thought someone was getting carted off and like that guy may not ever walk again. It was just so intense. And, and yeah, I mean, God forbid if there was social media, you know, back then what these games would have been like and all that. Like I'm just, I was reading Britt Giroli's article today from the athletics and she said, you know, there was a, there was a, they said it was all about Eddie George and Ray Lewis. And they talked about how, there was a rumor that in like one of the 1997 games when they were all in that same division, the AFC Central, that like Ray had knocked out Eddie George. He was unconscious on the field. And Ray swears it happens, and Eddie says it never happened. And they're like, you know what? We don't even have to know if we have the film to find it. So that, uh, that just goes to show you, like, you know, there are people arguing over if a man was knocked out unconscious. And I'm sure he, you know, even if he did, he stayed in the game and he played. So it's like, the, the injury or the just the hits and the collisions would would I mean you would you wouldn't even have you wouldn't be able to field a team today because the players that played in those games would have been thrown out in today's age. It was just it was absolutely an unreal awesome rivalry and it did kind of go back and forth. 
you know, the Titans beat him a handful of times. I remember in 03, the Titans came here in the playoffs and, and old man Gary Anderson kicked a field goal to win. And obviously the 2000 game, you know, and then after the division split up, it, it was never really the same because, you know, they didn't play him every year. Um, and and it, it it does suck because that rivalry was awesome. In middle school, I loved going to school in my Eddie George jersey. It's the most faded piece of clothing you'll probably ever see because I wore it every single day. And I just used to get crap from all my teachers because again, that was the you know the the highlight that or the high point of the rivalry. Yeah, dude. I mean, I literally wrote down it was Raven Steelers before Raven Steelers, and it was sort of that AFC Central splitting up that kind of you know, you know, caused it to lose a little bit of steam. And I still get chills like watching, you know, replays of that 2000 AFC championship game. And I didn't even like get to see it live. It, you know, seemed that intense. Uh, and then you mentioned that, you know, AFC Central splits up. It loses a little bit of its luster uh, in the early to mid, you know, aughts or 2000s, whatever. But then in 2008, it kind of gets maybe renewed a little bit when the Titans, they go 13 and three. The Ravens are this pretty strong wild card team and they're going into Tennessee to face that number one seeded Titans team with, I think, Kerry Collins. Like, do you remember where your head was at throughout that season and kind of how confident you were in the run up to that divisional game? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember that that season, you know, very vividly because Kerry Collins had come in, I believe, I think it was for Vince Young. I think Vince Young, that, that was when he kind of, kind of went off the rails uh, I think he went missing at like one point in the season there was like two or three days during a week that he didn't show up to practice yeah it was like his second year he was like beefing with Fisher yeah yeah and 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 you know that that was never they never really meshed and the, I mean that, that's a whole other story but I, I do remember I think they beat the Ravens earlier that season and I I, I, I think it's that season because I know Kerry Collins threw a touchdown I think it was the Algie Crumpler to win the game basically with like two or three minutes left and he absolutely, Algie Crumpler absolutely shredded Ray Lewis's ankles. Like he gave him an okie doke in the red zone, and Ray bit, and, and Algie scored a touchdown. And and I remember them winning that game. And I think they started the year ten and zero. Um, they lost to a Jets team, to for their first. Well, I think they lost. They lost to the Jets. I want to say they lost to maybe the Colts. And then I know they rested everyone, like the or a lot of people. One of the the either week sixteen or seventeen. And that's when Albert Hainsworth was like arguably the best defensive player in the league. Um, I think it was one of it was his contract year, I believe, and he was just a monster. And he tore or he did something to his MCL and I think his left knee in the last game of the season against the Texans. And I remember being like, "Oh no, that's you know that's not good. Oh well, we have the number one seed. We'll get the you know we'll rest up. We'll be fine for whoever we play." And that was the first. Um, that was rookie Harbaugh, rookie Flacco, uh, you know, and all those guys. And um, yeah, the Ra- the Ravens came to Nashville, and they finished season thirteen and three. And again, Collins was like a JV Alex Smith almost. I think I think he threw for like less than three thousand yards, like twelve touchdowns, something like that. Like you know, he wasn't beating you, but he and, and but he was just a game manager. Um, but that was Chris Johnson's rookie year, and he was the electric guy. And they had uh, you know Wendell White. Um, you know, Algie Crumpler, like I said, and their receivers were like Justin McCarron's and, and Justin Gage. So no, no, no one really scared you except for kind of Chris Johnson and Lindo White. And yeah, the Ravens came in. I actually just watched highlights of that game. I think like two or three nights ago, cause the full things on YouTube. Um, and yeah, they just, it, it was like 10, 10, um, going into the last couple minutes. And I remember, I remember Chris Johnson had an ankle injury. And Ed Reed literally bent him backwards. He had, you know, four, three or four guys had CJ by the legs, 
and Ed Reed came in and just twisted him up like a pretzel. And that got him out of the game. That, that pretty much changed everything. He was gashing the Ravens early. Um, and then the Titans just couldn't really do anything. And I do remember that on the Ravens game-winning drive, it came down to – the Ravens drove down. The play clock was on zero for like three and a half seconds. I swear to God, it was the <laughs> longest second of my life. And I'm like jumping up and down and yelling, you know, delay a game, delay a game. And they don't call it. They get a big connection to Heap. And then uh, Stover goes down and kicks the field goal, and that ends it. Um, and, you know, that that's left just such a sour taste in my mouth. Because, I, like I said, I, I remember that play clock sitting on zero for it, it must have been minutes, it seemed like. It feels like there's like a weird sync issue where like the TV doesn't always know where it's at because I noticed that in the playoffs last weekend that it felt like the Texans got away with a really bad one and maybe that's yep, a TV yep, thing. Yeah, maybe that's a TV thing. Maybe that's the refs. Who knows? But yeah, it, it it could be a delay or who knows? Yeah, like you know how they say like the the first down line isn't official. Maybe right. like the 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 play clock or the, yeah the play clock that they're showing isn't isn't official. Just like that is I don't I don't know. I mean and you know it's back in '08 so there was never really. There was no explanation for it. They didn't have to. No one. No one really. You know. Well, it benefited my team in this case, so like that's what I'm going to go with. But if I ever end up getting screwed on, I don't be talking about uh, how the refs messed it up. But uh, yeah, I mean, well, and obviously now, you know, we get Twitter. Get you'd get a gif and you'd get a screenshot and you'd get it's just a Pruder film to death. So I'm just going. I have to. I don't know how I'll ever see that clip again. You know, and that and now that I see it, like I said, I watched it the other night and just like shuddered at it. So. Stuff, man, those losses. But, you know, it feels like that was kind of a a turning point for both franchises because you have Harbaugh and Flacco coming in and that's their first year. And, you know, that was the last playoff appearance for the Titans until like a few years ago, I think 2017. And maybe it was the beginning of the end of Jeff Fisher becoming or being a respected head coach and kind of then becoming a meme a couple of years later. But if you had to like sum up being a Titans fan from then and then like throughout the 2010s, like in one word, what would what word would that be? Do you think? They're like they're literally the Jeff Fishers of football. They're just they're an eight and eight, nine and seven, you know, seven and nine team. And like they had the one year where I think they went two and 14. Um, you know, they've missed on a bunch of quarterbacks, including Mariota. Uh, it seems like they found the guy in Tannehill, but they've they've always been that like middle of the pack. They the quarterbacks they've gone through. I mean, Jesus, Vince Young, Jake Locker, um, Zach Mettenberger. Uh, you know, they had Fitz Magic for a while. It's just those guys are like you're not gonna build, you're not gonna win with any of those guys. And even Mariota. I mean, I I did think he was he was the guy. You know, coming out and then it it just slowly morphed into this guy. I mean, he just couldn't move the ball, and they've just, they've been a completely different team with Tannehill, and I, you know, credit to Vrabel for making that move. Yeah, but definitely. Just before, you know, before week four or whatever it was, they were just that middle of the pack team, and they had been for a while. They they just they, they were never, except for the one year, they were never bad enough to get one of those top picks where you go, this is the guy we're building around, and they were never good enough to make a playoff run. They were always, you know, six and ten seven and nine, whatever. They were always third in the division and they could never beat the Colts. And, you know, Peyton Manning, I think lost to them like three or four times. And then Andrew Luck, I don't think ever lost to the Titans. So that, that was my other thing. It was like all that, that whole time, like no matter how well they were doing, I was like, this team will never be anything until they can beat the Colts until they could do that. I don't believe in them at all. And so, yeah, they were, they were just a absolute middle of the pack team. Yeah. I mean, it's, I just remember them being so like nondescript through that first half of the decade and like 
being kind of pretty, you know, excited and like happy for them when, you know, they wind up getting Mariota in 2015. I was pretty high on him. You know, it sounds kind of like you were too, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, I definitely liked him. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say that I was one of these guys who watched every, I watched every snap of him at Oregon and I love this offense. You know, I saw his highlights the morning after because there was always, you know, I'm not staying up to watch those late games in Oregon. But, you know, I saw him, I saw the Heisman year and I thought, I mean, why not? You know, he seemed electric in college. And, and, you know, I was like, let's put some weapons around him and, and let's see what he can do. And, you know, he, I mean, he had a good, I think it was his rookie year that he played pretty well. Maybe it was the next year where he, he broke his leg, like the last game of the season. And, and he was just never quite the same. And he had, you know, I mean, he did have, they did have the good year where they went to the playoffs a couple of years ago. He had that wild play, you know, against Kansas city where he throws the ball, he gets batted right back into him. He catches it and dives for a touchdown. And it, he, I mean, he had some good games. He had a really good season a couple of years ago. It's just like, I don't know what happened to him this year. He just seems so vanilla. And I don't know if it was the play calling um, or, or what, but he just, he just did not have it. And, and again, the team has just been, I mean, they've been a completely different squad with Tannehill and, and with him on the bench. So I, I, again, I mean, I was a fan. It sucks that it's not going to work out. And I mean, I'm not going to be one of these guys who, if he signs with the bears or someone, I'm not going to say screen us, screw Mariota. You know, that guy's trash. You know, he may be trash, but I'm, I'm, I'll root for him. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Um, I mean, and I remember it because like it felt like if nothing else, they were finally going to be like exciting. And then you mentioned the 2017 run, I believe it was, where they win that playoff game and he, he makes that big play. And, you know, they lose to the Patriots, which, you know, it's you can't really fault them for that. So you kind of thought they had their guy at that point, right? Oh, absolutely. And like I said, that, that Patriots game, I remember they go down and they score. Corey Davis has like this this great um, one handed catch in like the left corner of the end zone and they go up seven nothing. And I remember being at a bar and being like, this is, you know, this is the new team. This is it. The Patriots are done. It's over. And then they get smoked that game. So, yeah, I mean, he had all the makings. He was money in the red zone for like a long time. I think at one point in the red zone, he had like 20 touchdowns and no picks. He was just like a wizard. And, you know, I mean, he was that guy. He, he looked like he wasn't going to put up 400-yard passing games, but he could do it all. He could he could pass. He, he could run a little bit. And, you know, he, he, see, he seemed to be the next big thing. And I don't know if film caught up to him and, and you know, the, the league just figured him out or what, but he just. I mean, when he was good, he was unreal. But when he was bad, it was like it was like he was just Vince Young all over again. I thought every throw he was making was getting picked, and it was just it was it was just bad. It was ugly to watch. Yeah, it's tough. And yeah, they do follow up that Patriots loss, 2018. They go nine and seven. They're outside looking into the playoff picture there. And after that year, after all the promise of making the playoffs and everything, they're just sort of blah, nondescript again. You know, were you confident that missing the playoffs, that's just like a stumbling block and they were going to get back into contention? Or were you kind of concerned that they'd be just sort of that mediocre, bad type of team for a long time again? You mean like after last year, after they missed? Yeah, so like this year, I guess. I don't know if I phrased that great. Yeah, because I mean, because again, and then last year, he just couldn't stay healthy. And that was always his issue. He'd miss one or two games. And then especially when he got hurt, he got hurt in the first game of the season last year against Miami. He got thrown out and danged his elbow like on the ground. And basically he said he could, couldn't feel his hand the whole season. They made him a special glove and all that, you know, all that crap. And, and then the last game of the season, he's out. And it's Blaine Gabbard versus the Colts in a, in a you know, winner moves on to the playoffs. And, the, and, again, they just throw up a dud because it was Blaine Gabbard. And that, that guy should be pumping my gas somewhere. Um, 
And so going into the year, the year, I'm like, well, you know, if he stays healthy, maybe he can replicate what he's done before. But then I just didn't, I didn't feel confident in him staying healthy. And then, and then they went and signed Tannehill. And I'll be honest, I hated them. I'm like, why are you going to – I think the only guy who would miss more games than Mariota the last, like, three or four seasons was Tannehill. So I'm going, why are you, why are you getting this guy who's always hurt to back up another guy who's always hurt? And, I mean, I'll, I'll eat my crow. It, like I said, it's been a great move. And it's the, the, just the balls on Mike Vrabel to go ahead and make that move when they were 2-4. and four. You know, benching the the franchise quarterback, the 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 guy was supposed to be the future of the team, and he's benching him for Ryan Tannehill, a guy who everyone and their mother thought was a bust. So, you know, I, I and again going into this year, I thought you know if they win six games, awesome. If they win seven games, even better. You know, may, maybe we just lose out and we'll get one of these quarterbacks, and 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 we'll go from there, and and you know we'll say bottom Mariota, but it obviously worked out. And and when they but when they were two and four, I'm thinking the same thing. I'm going all right, well. Let's get this top four pick in the draft and then, you know, let's rebuild for next year. Yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely worked out up to this point, like you mentioned, but with Tannehill, it's and any of these like quarterbacks that were looked at as bust and then maybe they start to turn it around. You can look back to like Alex Smith when he started to turn his career around. There's like maybe a negative stigma around like anything positive that he does due to him sort of building up that shaky resume back in Miami. Like, do you remember there being a specific moment this season where you started to feel like Tannehill is actually maybe for real here? I think during the Chargers game, which I think was his first start, like it, it was, it was a good game. It went, it went like real back and forth. And I just remember thinking, like, this is a game the Titans lose, you know, nine times out of ten, just because they, it was, it was a high scoring game and the defense ended up making some big plays. But I remember watching the highlights and some of the balls that he was throwing. I was like, man, there's like, there's some zip there. Like I, ha- I haven't seen that in a while. And then, and then it seemed like he was kind of getting his – him and A.J. Brown, Tannehill and A.J. Brown were kind of linking up, and he was putting together some good games. And then, the, you know, the Raiders game, I think I, he had like a 90-yard touchdown. And he had like a 50-yard touchdown. So I think the Raiders game, which was maybe week 13 or 14, maybe even 15, I was like, you know what? Maybe Because, again, you know, he put together a few good games, and that, my first thought is, well, we've seen this in Miami. He had some of those last year. He had some of them the year before, but then he always followed up with, you know, he followed it up with a stinker. So, so you know, right around probably week fourteen or fifteen, where they're going, oh, you know, the Titans are in the hunt now, and I'm thinking, eh, yeah, but same old Titans, they'll lose out or they'll lose to, you know, someone crappy, and and Tannehill will have a bad game, and 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 that'll be it. And it was like that that bad game never quite came. Even even last week, you know, I think he threw the ball fifteen times. I think he threw the ball six times on the first uh, drive too. So he didn't, I mean, he didn't have the best game, but he didn't lose them that game either. But I think it was probably, you know, I, I want to say the Chargers game when he was just throwing absolute darts. It's when I was like, you know what, maybe, maybe, maybe this is a move for the better. So, yeah, I mean, it's the ultimate like pleasant surprise. Like I can remember in 18 when they threw Lamar in there, it's like, oh, okay, you know, he'll maybe grow a little bit. They'll win a few games, but, you know, nothing serious. And they go six and one and make a big time playoff run. So, you know, nothing more thrilling than that. But like other than him, anything, anything like else that jumps out at you is like a pleasant surprise from this season from a Tennessee fan perspective. Um, AJ Brown, I think just because like like I was saying earlier, I mean, I'm used to the Titans drafting wide receivers and them just being bust. I mean, Corey Davis doesn't look like anything, and I think he was the number five overall pick. I mean, I remember Tyrone Calico back in, like, the early 2000s. It's just like every every guy they draft that's been after Derek Mason has has just been a bum, and it seems like A.J. Brown's the real deal. I lo- I've always loved Derek Henry. 
And I never understood like why last year he was splitting carries with Deion Lewis. The, the, the previous years I understood, I could, I could at least swallow him, you know, uh, sharing carries with DeMarco Murray because he was still putting up a thousand yards. So I was like, all right, I can do that. But this year, I mean, he's just been, you know, he led the, led the league in rushing. I think he is close to 1100 yards the last seven games. I think he has 11, it's like 1,078 yards and 11 touchdowns in the last seven games. Like that's a damn good season for a lot of running backs. And he's been doing it the last seven games. And I mean, you know, we've all seen the highlights. He's just, he looks like a rhinoceros running and it's, it's, he's so much fun to watch. It's if, if he gets going downhill, it's, you know, it's going to be trouble. Um, and I think, you know, him leading the league and rushing, that, that was a surprise for me. I, I don't know if I would have said that at the beginning of the year, especially with Taylor Lewan being suspended the first four games for PEDs. Um, but, I, I mean, and you know, the defense, they're, they're always fun to watch. I love Kevin Byard. Some of those guys they have, Adore Jackson's always a pl- uh, pleasure to watch. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, just kind of kind of the way they've come together. I wasn't really the biggest Mike Vrabel fan going into the year. But he, I mean, he's he's definitely bought me over, and and now I'll, you know, I'm I'm ready to cut my junk off with him. Like he said, if they win a Super Bowl, um, I would more than gladly, you know, willingly do that. Um, and then, you know, I I don't know. I mean, it, it the, the entire year has just been a pleasant surprise, just because after the way they started two and four, you know, they didn't go on a run quite like the Ravens did at 12 straight. But some of the games they put together, and just just watching the the, the guys have this much fun and, and, you know, and put it, put together a nice run. That's probably been my, you know, my biggest surprise. Yeah. Side note, the whole Mike Vrabel cutting his junk off thing. I sincerely hope that uh, you guys don't get it done because I would feel tremendously bad for the dude, but I don't know. It's like with the pyrotechnics thing. <laughs> I mean, he said he, he said he already has two kids. He said, you know, I think my wife would understand. And the NFL knowing them would like turn some like way into like sponsoring it. Like Mike Vrabel cutting his dick <laughs> off brought to you by like Miller Lite. Um, sponsored by Gillette or something. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, like, and you mentioned, like, how much fun it was and, like, kind of surging a little bit and just going on that, you know, big-time run where the team just has all this positive morale. It felt the obvi- like the opposite way with the Patriots. They kind of collapsed a little bit. They backed into the wild card round. Like, you know, given all that happening, were you surprised to see the Titans make it past them? And, like, how much does that win give you confidence going forward that they can kind of get it done against the Ravens in this spot? Well, I mean that that run for the Patriots, or that, that I guess the the fall of them was really the the Ravens. That was it a Sunday night game, yep. Monday night game. I think Sunday, Sunday night, night yeah. right? Yeah. So so I mean that was, and I remember because I went into press box um, with Glenn Clark, and and I do some of the post game shows with him, and I think I tweeted out like at four o'clock that afternoon. I said, hey guys, you know, check me out on post game uh, press box uh, live post game tonight. I'll be there to talk about the Ravens beating the Patriots by 10 plus easily. I remember seeing you tweet that actually. And I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Like I, I, and I like, I wasn't doing, and again, like, I mean, you can, you can pick up my tone. Like I'm not a Ravens fan at all, but I was like, there's, I don't think there's any chance the Patriots win this. And I was like, I'm not doing this for clicks or ratings or anything. I was like, I just don't think they're very good. And, And I know like everyone had talked about their schedule, leading up to that point they hadn't played anyone and the defense was really great. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I mean, I understand all that. And I was like, I, I just, to me, this doesn't make sense. Like, I, I don't know what I'm missing. I just don't think the Patriots are very good. And yeah, I think they went, they what were, they eight. No, at that point, And they went four and four after. So going into the, to the playoffs, you know, Titans clinched. Oh, they're, they're heading to new England. I was like, okay, 
I could, could, you know, could I have seen the Patriots putting it together and winning by 10 last week? Absolutely. It wouldn't have shocked me at all. And I don't think it would have shocked anyone. But then again, at the same time, I'm like, it also wouldn't shock me if the Titans go into to New England and, and, you know, beat them by 10. And, and obviously we know what happened. They, you know, it was basically a one point game. And then, and then Brady threw up that pick six and that was it. But it, like I said, I mean, I would not have been shocked if, if Edelman came out and had a great game and Brady was, was the man, especially because I think they said they hadn't lost two games at, um, two games in a row or something like that, like in, in a long time. And they, you know, they lost the, the, the final week to, to the Dolphins and all that. Um, but no, I mean, it, it didn't, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't shocked at all that they won. I was, I was very happy. Um, I don't know if I would have bet that they were going to win, but you know, I thought they had a pretty good chance. And I mean, I'm, I'm kind of the same way this week. Like part of me is like, you know what? It was a great win last week. I don't think they could beat the Ravens, but again, it's not going to surprise me if they come in and, and it's, it's a, you know, a weird game and Lamar just doesn't have it. And, and like, I'm not one of those people. Like I, you know, I follow a bunch of Titans people and I see them like, you know, we're going to, we're going to hit, hit Lamar a lot and this and that. And it's like, you, you know, well, they're probably not going to because they haven't really done that all year on defense. But like, again, it wouldn't surprise me if, I don't know, there's some tip balls, Titans pick a few off. It, it, you know, if Derrick Henry has 150, 160 yards, you know, I could see that again. I mean, we saw what Nick Chubb did against the Ravens early on. And I know that was without Brandon Williams. But I, I just think I think Henry's too good to be stopped. I, I think he had 21 yards when they the Ravens beat them last year. I don't think that's going to happen again. Um, but I also I think I told Press Box I think I said it would be 27-17 Ravens, and you know it could be it could be 37-17 Ravens. But I it, it also wouldn't surprise me if it's 31-24 Titans. You know, and they pull one off. I mean, and you know who who knows when Mark Ingram's going to be. Um, I, I know I know it's still Ravens minus ten, and like I said, that feels about right. But I'm not. I would not be shocked at all if the Titans went in and win. I, I'm not expecting it. But again, I, I mean, crazier crazier upsets have happened. Yeah, dude, I'm one of those fans who like I I don't know. I'm always kind of looking at reasons for why the Ravens can drop the game, and I'm always kind of like guarded, <laughs> like making the close pick and everything. So. And, you know, on the same way, of course, I'm doing that again this week. I'm like, you know, and I think for good reason, though, I think there are two teams that are similarly built. They're, you know, physical. They can run the ball very well. I think it's an interesting matchup, especially with the fact that the Ravens have taken two weeks off. Maybe they need a half to knock the rust off and everything. And uh, it's just an intriguing matchup to me. And there's a lot of like, you know, really intriguing like figures in terms of like players or even, you know, concepts or coaches, whatever it might be on the Ravens that scares you the most let's leave Lamar Jackson out of this. What, what would you kind of pinpoint? Um, I'll pro- I, I think it's Marcus Peters because I mean, we've seen it all year Him him kind of jumping those routes. He did it, you know, the first game against Russell. Um, and I am scared that, you know, maybe it is, maybe it's 10, maybe it's 13, 10 Titans or something like that. And they're driving midway through the third and it's a sloppy game. And it's like, you know, Lamar's just not doing anything. Maybe Ingram's not even close to hundred percent. And, and the Titans are, you know, they're barely holding on and, and God forbid Tannehill, throw, you know, throws a lazy pass. We saw him do it last week. Throws one off his back foot and Peters just undercuts it. And, 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 you know, a house call for 60 yards, boom, crowds back, defense is back. And it's like, well, shut it down, boys. This is over because, you know, now the Ravens are feeling it. And he, I mean, Marcus Peters has always had that. And we've, Again, we've seen some of the plays that he can make, so that that that's probably my biggest feel. 
and it's also like he hasn't done that in a, in, in a few weeks. And, a, you know, what better time than his first playoff game with the Ravens and first home? No, well, when did he sign that extension? Before the Steelers game? I think it was. I'm, I'm just thinking. I think it was after maybe. What? Yeah, and I'm just, I'm just thinking, you know, what, what, a, what a perfect time for him to reintroduce himself, you know, to the, to the fans and, and saying that, he'll, you know, he'll be here. Um, I, I mean, I, I could see that happening. I don't, maybe, maybe a, a Hollywood, you know, long touchdown. He beats a Dory Jackson, someone like that. Um, but I, I, I think it's, I think it's going to be on the defensive side and, you know, they, they'll want to make a play Earl Thomas with a big hit ball pops up or something like that. And Peters is right there to scoop it up. And, and like I said, make that house call. Yeah, definitely. It would be uh feels like it would be a decider if a team can make a defensive play in this one. Speaking of, mm-hmm. like, what has kind of been, we're very familiar with Dean Pease around here. Obviously, he won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. What has kind of been, and you don't have to get two X's and O's here, but what's been your impression of him since taking over as uh, Mike Rabel's defensive coordinator there? And do you think, like, his history with the Ravens is a big advantage or anything based on what you've been hearing from him? So I don't know if it's a big advantage because, I mean, he was never there. It would be different if he had gone against Lamar for, you know, a handful of years. And it's like right. he, 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 ha- he never did. And also, if he did, I mean, shit, we know what he's doing now. You know, it's still no one's stopping him. So I don't know. I, I think that would be that would be tough. But I, I, I like him. I mean, I, I never really minded him when he was, you know, in Baltimore. I know everyone calls him Swiss Peas, and there were those games where they were up, you know, thirty-one to ten on the Bengals, and it turns out to be a thirty-one twenty-four game because they just sit in that prevent defense the whole fourth quarter. They haven't really done that. I mean, they 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 haven't really had any of the you know, marquee defensive games. They, they've had some good defensive drives. Like I said, the goal line stand last week, definitely. I mean, that probably won them the game right there on the one. They, that's also the Patriots running three straight times, you know, on the one. Um, I, but I, again, I like him. I mean, he, he's setting the guys up. He's putting, it seems like he's putting all the guys in the right position to make plays and they're making the plays and, and, and more times than not, I'm not reading an article on Monday morning, blaming Dean Pease for a bad, you know, uh, you know, a, ba- a bad defensive scheme or something like that. So I, I don't, and I don't know what it is. I mean, cause it, again, when he was in Baltimore, it was just like, it was that bend don't break. And they, you know, they haven't really had those games where, Oh yeah, they gave up 480 yards, but then they, you know, they only won by three or something like that because, you know, they, they just haven't had those games. So I don't know. I don't know what's really changed with, with Dean since, since he came, since he retired for what a week and a half and then came back. What a legendary uh, deal I mean, that was, he, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I see. I don't really. I, I didn't mind that because I. I think what was it? Is he coaching with it? I think he's coaching with a son in Tennessee. So it's like you know maybe maybe he, he wanted to go out with his son. He'll like I wouldn't be surprised if he retires after this year and or you know fully retires. But yeah, it was it was funny how that kind of went down. But you know I, you know I don't know. I mean I I've enjoyed him his his time in Tennessee so far. Yeah, I mean I definitely am in the camp where I don't think it's totally fair to trash a guy, especially since. His first year, he gets in there and he wins a Super Bowl ring for you. You got to have some appreciation for him. So, you know, and with the goal line stand and everything, too. So, you know, it's just an interesting thing where I think Ravens fans are maybe a little bit too hard on the coordinator sometimes because they don't want to, you know, tell it like it is and say that the players are at fault sometimes. But that's a whole nother conversation. Switching, you know, over, you know, big pivot for you here. Got a little hypothetical for you. So if you had to remove some players from the Titans roster ahead of this one, just for whatever reason, Let's say it comes down to you can remove the combo of Corey Davis and AJ Brown, or you remove Derrick Henry just by himself. Who would you remove? Oh, that's tough. Um, 
So like if I'm taking out AJ and Corey, I'm replacing them with with wide receiver three and four, whoever that is. Yeah, exactly. So like Adam Humphreys or whatever. Yeah, and we'll see. That makes it even tougher because Humph- so Humphreys is out for this game. He's been out for a while. Um, I still think I'm going to take them out because like I like Deion Lewis is not beating the Ravens. I I I don't think there's any world where where you know Deion Lewis. You wake up Monday morning, Sunday morning, and you're like that damn Deion Lewis. He did it again, you know. Um, but I I think that like I mean like we saw last week, they basically played without Corey Davis and AJ Brown, and they you know they scored they scored 20 points, 14 on offense, and 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 Derrick Henry was Derrick Henry. So they can you know I think I think Corey didn't have a catch, and I think Brown had four yards on one catch. Um, I, I do think Derrick Henry is one of those rare back. He's almost like a Jamal Lewis where it's like, you can ride him to a win. He can win the game. Like he did last week. He had, I think there was one drive. They had 75 yards and he had all 75 on it. Like that's, that's who he is. And, and not saying that that's what he can do against this Ravens defense, but, but he's just one of those guys who you can game plan. Hey, Derek, you're getting the ball 35 times. You know, we're, we're, we're riding you to the finish line. So let's do it. But again, like Corey Davis is not going to I don't see him going out there and putting up eight catches, a buck 60 and, you know, touchdown against against those cornerbacks. I, I think AJ could have a good game, but but I, I, I think I would rather take those two guys away. Because I also think I read that Derrick Henry is like first in yards, first in touchdowns, first in yards for carries against, you know, more than eight guys in the box. So, like, he, again, everyone knows Derrick's going to run the ball. Derek knows there's going to be eight, nine, ten guys in the box. The Patriots had ten guys in the box last week, and they still couldn't stop him. So I, I think I'm, I'm rolling with, with I'm, I'm, I'm rolling with Derek. You know, I think you ride that horse that brought you there. Yeah, I think it's just such a tough one because your top two receivers, or it's just one guy. But I think you know that's the right answer with the way that they're built and the way they've been playing. You got to just keep rolling with Henry. But ultimately, like just kind of getting into the home stretch here, like finish, finish the sentence for me for the Titans to win this game. They're going to have to do blank. I, and I, I know I said it earlier. I think it, you know, it's, it's been everyone's plan all along. I think you have to rattle Lamar. I think you, you're going to have to hit him. And, and like all day, I've kind of just been thinking like, man, like, cause you know, I obviously I'm riding around, I'm listening to one of five, seven. And I'm like, you know, if, if Jarrell Casey can put one of those hits, on on Lamar like um, like Goose did on Rich Gannon and that that Raiders Ra- Ravens you know AFC Championship game I'm like that I mean that could change the whole thing you know and and, and I'm obviously not wishing Lamar to be hurt I, I as much as I hated the Ravens in the past I really enjoy watching them and I do like Lamar a lot but I'm like you know what if you can rough him up and if you can you know it, to just put that thought in his head. And I know it's going to be tough. It's like chasing one of those grease pigs, you know, you know, you got to, you got to get your head. It's easier said than done getting your hands on him. But I think if, if you rough him up and, you know, you make that, that clock in his head go a little bit faster, you know, if, if he beats you rushing, okay, I'm, I'm kind of all right with that because he's not beating us through the air. And it's like, you know, you, you made him go through his progressions. You lock those guys down and, and he just made a, a great play as opposed to them just giving them all the time in the world. So I, I, I truly think that they, they can win this game. And obviously taking the ball out of his hands is, you know, they don't have those 12, 13, 14 play drives that eat up eight or nine minutes. You know, obviously that works in the Titans' favor. I mean, this isn't a game where both teams can have the ball. Because, again, like, like you said, they're very similar offenses. They both they want to run the ball. They, they want to punch you in the face and, you know, get downhill. And both teams can't do that for 40 minutes in this game. It's just it, it can't happen. 
so the the longer that that you know the Ravens defense is on there, and the Ravens defense has been playing great, but the longer the defense is on the field against the Titans, like and the the ball's out of Lamar's hand, so I think that I think that ups your chances right there of winning. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with the whole rattling thing, I mean, the Steelers got up in his grill earlier in the season and he had a rough game against them. And not for nothing, he's been sitting on the couch for two weeks. So you never really know what can happen. And uh, you don't want to get too cocky if you're a Ravens fan, at least kind of that's the way I'm approaching it. I know some other people, maybe not so much, but ultimately uh, prediction time here, buddy. Who do you got winning this one? And uh, give us a score if you can. I mean, like like I told you earlier and, and you know, I told Pressbox, I, I still think it's and like I was saying, I'm one of those fans where instead of thinking, well, if this goes right, they win. I'm more thinking, well, I know I know this team and just my history of teams, you know, they're not going to win this. There's no way they'll win this. I, I still think it'll be, you know, something like 27-17 or 30-20, to 20, um, something in that nature. And it's just, you know, God, I mean, unless Lamar gets hit by a bus tomorrow, getting off the, or, you know, on Saturday, getting off the, the going to the stadium or something like that, it's just, too many things have to go right for the Titans in order for them to, because, you know, they have to play that perfect game. The Ravens don't need to play that perfect game. Plus they're at home, you know, they, they, they've got everything going for them. Um, you know, and I, I, people are saying, Oh, well, the Titans Super Bowl was last week. Like, nah, I don't, I don't think so. It was a great win. It was, it was, you know, a, a nice, a nice win for them, but I, I don't think they're, you know, no one's going to, no one's going to be like, Oh, you know, we beat the Patriots. So let's, you know, let's call it a week. I think they would like to win this game. Obviously as some statement right there. Um, I just think too many things have to go right for them. And, and the Ravens, the Ravens have a little, they, they, I don't think they have much pressure on them right now. They're, they're having fun. Um, I think it's just, there's just too much good going for them right now. So I'll stick with my 27, uh, 17, uh, Ravens win. Well, I mean, you know, I like to hear it, so <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm sure our audience is going to, too. As, as much as I would like to be wrong and hold on to all the receipts I have of people, like, if the Titans win, don't get me wrong, I will go on a Twitter rampage for the ages. As just, you should, man. Like, like, a, like a Michael Scott roast, you know, boom roasted, <laughs> just going off, so. Just don't, don't say know, anything that, about that, my forehead. I'm very coming. sensitive about it. <laughs> but uh yeah thanks again for coming on dude really appreciate it you give us a ton of really good stuff here uh you got anything you want to plug before you get going um you know i'm on twitter i, I tweet a lot i'm a volume tweeter um at e-d-i-t-t-i 22 um i do my you know my daily mlb wake-ups on barstool sports um you know gonna hopefully get a couple more orioles things up there and any any big mlb stuff then um you know let, let, let's mix it up let's have a good game on saturday and and hopefully, uh, I, I know I do know the Titans. You know what I was thinking is maybe this is a really good game. It comes down to like a field goal in overtime or something like that. And then next year, because I know the Titans come back to Baltimore, um, like oh, you know maybe they do that for the that opening game. You know that the Orioles are also scheduled to have a home game on right now, so we'll see what happens with that. But you know I'm like oh maybe they can reignite this rivalry and and you know it's it's something that we can look forward to a couple times you know in the next few years so I'm hoping for it man it feels like the NFL is uh lacking for it a little bit right now so uh that would be a ton of fun for sure and uh you know yeah check out you know Eric's stuff everywhere you can find it thanks again dude and uh yeah we got to get you back on sometime soon for some O's talk maybe or you know something else going on in the off season so uh you know until then thanks let me know I'm open to anything Later, man. We're going to vibe so hard. In three, two, one.
All right. So that was the interview. Hope you guys enjoyed it. It was a ton of fun uh, from our perspective. Uh, And with that, I guess we have to jump into this game, don't we, bud? Yes, sir. We are going to vibe so hard. We got the sage and citrus candle rolling right now. Shout out Yankee This thing's candle. a freaking horse. I bought this like two weeks ago. And it's, it hasn't moved since I've been here. I've been here an hour. It has not even dwindled. So I lit it at like the base of the wick, and it was making some really weird noises before you showed up. That's awesome. I have a wick trimmer on the way from Amazon. Hell yeah. I have a ton of candles, so. Me and I, my buddies did like a... like. I don't know. I, I, I want to call it a demo, but it wasn't. We just went to a Yankee Candle Store, and they showed us how to properly preserve your candles. And that one is is a brick shit house. Well, I need say. to, yeah, I need to probably do something like that because I've been seriously dabbing, dabbling in the candle game, and I think I'm going to become a full blown candle guy here very soon. So 2020 year of the candle. You heard it here first. It might just be, man. And I think it's good to be a candle guy. You have you know a nice sense around you. There's it's relaxing. It's, it's yeah, it's very it's relaxing. relaxing. Good. Relax. Here we go, Galaxy. Relax. But yeah, big candle guys. But jumping into this game, it's going to be a really fun matchup. The Titans really remind me in a lot of like big picture ways of the 2018-2019 Ravens. They had a quarterback change that happened mid-year amidst kind of some offensive struggles with Tannehill taking over for Mariota, a la Lamar taking over for Joe Flacco, although Flacco quote-unquote injured his hip which led to Jackson. Mariota just got benched mid-game. So that's an interesting thing. Then four and five Titans make a playoff surge, find their way into the postseason. The Ravens were four and five, made their way into the postseason as well. Two teams that love to run the ball. The Titans have former Ravens eight-year defensive coordinator all the, the whole time. Yes, the whole time. Uh, eight-year defensive coordinator Dean Pease. So Ravens fans are obviously very familiar with Dean Pease and his defense. There are classic 2010s Ravens Pease fingertips and blueprints all over this defense. And so Ravens fans are somewhat familiar. I mean, the Ravens did play the Titans last year. A lot of Ravens fans are pointing back to, as I mean, uh, RDT mentioned, the 21-yard, 21 nothing shutout of the Titans last year. But that was a different team, different players, different offensive coordinator. Henry had a completely different attitude. He, as uh, Artie was referring to in the interview, is a completely different player. He's been a monster, especially over the second half of the year, and it's going to be a fun game to watch, two very physical teams. Yeah, there are two teams that, in my estimation, are built in a very similar way. Obviously, you have the most electric dynamic playmaker in the league at the quarterback position for the Ravens, which makes them unique from pretty much any team. But you're talking about two teams that you have Ozzie Newsom who learned from Bill Belichick and you have John Robinson who learned from Bill Belichick. So it's not surprising that you have two physical teams uh, that are strong along the lines, maybe throwing the ball isn't necessarily their, you know, top priority. They both really seem to enjoy running the ball. Obviously the Ravens, have had a ton of success throwing it against certain teams, but I, you know, up front their identity is we run run the fall, run the football and just beat the shit out of you. So I think they both want to do that. I think they do it to varying degrees. But what makes this game so interesting to me is the fact that they both just kind of look like something of a mirror image of one another. And I would ask you this: if you had to choose between, let's take quarterbacks out of it. If you had to choose between having a backfield of the Ravens where you have an Ingram and a Hill and an Edwards or a superstar player like Derrick Henry, what would your choice be there? I think I'd go Ravens. I'm curious what you think. 
Choosing between the two is tough because obviously there's depth there. Um, it's a little more difficult because Lamar Jackson also is just such a threat with his legs. We don't know what his real impact is. Uh, we saw a little bit in the Steelers game, and that was a somewhat of an anomaly. But I think I would go Ravens as well. They've got depth. They're a little bit more complete. Feels like you know two really physical runners. They can also break away as well as Justice Hill, who presents a little bit of a, a, a spellback that can do some different things. Is a little bit more burst. So I'm gonna go Ravens as well. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I guess just jumping into it from that perspective, it's like Henry is obviously the headliner here, but like other than him. Who is kind of scaring you most on their offense? Is it is it Tannehill? Is it going to be a guy like A.J. Brown? I think he would probably be my answer personally. Who would it be? It's got to be Tannehill. And what the Titans do, they predominantly just run mid-zone. And a lot of Ravens fans are freaking out. They think that the Titans run like an outside zone and saw what the 49ers did on some of those and some uh, outside powers. But they like to get into those tight end packages, the 12 the 21 the 22 the 13 all that stuff and run inside zone then they will keep six seven dudes back to block and they will bomb play action passes on you Tannehill on play actions is insane he has a 77 completion percentage on 79 attempts 1126 yards dudes averaging 15 yards a completion on play actions eight touchdowns 136 quarterback rating uh, his intended yards per attempt there are 14.5. They bomb the ball. And Tannehill's ball placement, how accurate he is. They like to run crossers, deep posts, and just straight fade balls off the play action. He puts the ball on the fucking money so well, and it allows guys to run through the catch. A.J. Brown and Jonu Smith, the tight end, who is pretty pretty much a receiver. He's a huge receiver are first and fourth in the NFL in yak yards after the catch per reception. So they are a big play, play action passing game. They will run those play actions out of the exact same looks that they run the ball with. They'll use the exact same blocking scheme. Sometimes they'll pull a guy for pass protection, but usually they'll gash you a couple times with that mid zone in between the guard and the tackler, in between the tackle and the tight end and then get linebackers to start trying to fill those gaps. And then Tannehill has been so, so accurate. I was actually mesmerized by a couple of his throws. He had one against the Chiefs. It was like a 53-yard throw in the air, and I don't know how he did it. He just put it on a spot, and it was perfect. He's been a robot in the play action this year, so Tannehill is very dangerous. So with all that said, I mean, you mentioned a ton of stuff there. With the way that their offense is constructed, if you're Arthur Smith, who is their offensive coordinator, when you look at this Wink Martindale defense, is that something that you say, okay, we can just go out there and do that? Or is there another approach that you would take based upon the way the defense is set up and plays, based upon what you have on offense? What would kind of your initial thought to an approach be? I think that Smith, it's kind of reactionary, and Smith wants to go see what you're going to do. So, for instance, last week against the Patriots, the Patriots put a safety in at linebacker, and they really played the play action. They wanted to take the play action away. The way they did that was by kind of having linebackers not go fill holes, not participate in the run game as quickly, and that really limited some of the play actions. Smith recognized it immediately, and it was a great job on his part. They only threw 15 passes. Tannehill didn't get sacked a ton or anything. There just wasn't a ton of dropbacks. Tannehill did make a couple nice throws there, but he's reactionary, and that's the the yin and the yang of what they do because they run the play action out of the same look as that zone run. 
So it allows him to kind of just see what your game plan is and then respond. And in the meantime, I mean, if you are playing the run, Henry can still go get five yards, six yards, 11 yards, whatever. He's been so good. Um, there was a really fun story that I loved last year about Eddie George, who old, if you knew or are longtime Ravens fans, you obviously know Eddie George. Such a storied rivalry there, him and Ray Lewis, all the things that happened back in the 2000s and AFC Central and all that stuff. And Henry was really, really sucking basically last year and kind of the year before. So he went and sat down with Eddie George and was like, hey, man, can we watch some film? Can you just be honest with me? Tell me what's up. And I'm posting an article that should be out tomorrow that I'll have kind of the quotes for this and stuff. It's on the Titans website. Eddie George basically said, you're being soft. You want to hit a home run every play. And when you see that the home run isn't there, you don't embrace contact. You're the biggest dude on the field. And showed him, you know, the home run is the five-yard run sometimes. And that's what made Frank Gorse an incredible running back. That's, what is he, third now in the all-time rushing list? He knows when a play is dead and will burrow. He is a tinier guy, so it's a little different, but he'll burrow to get those extra three yards. And it's second and five instead of second and eight or something like that. So Henry has really embraced the shitty plays, kind of, and learned to use his body more and take the punishment. And he's been unstoppable ever since. So... It's uh, it's really just a dual-edged sword. It's that that Darth Maul two-ended lightsaber where Arthur Smith can call one thing, see what you're doing, ow, ow. and do the other. You are the chosen one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Arthur Smith, I think is I'm I'm kind of surprised he hasn't gotten a lot of attention this year. I mean, play action is like the nerd heaven now. Yep. Running the ball, running play action. Play action is the highest percentage play in football. It's like the new three-point shot uh, of the NBA. It's it's running play actions. And guys will tell you that causation isn't correlation, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter if it's Zeke or Tony Pollard running the ball. Play action still gets linebackers to jump, and it's true to an extent. And I think Arthur Smith has done a fantastic job with his offense, took, brought Tannehill in, knew what Tannehill was, and has put him in a great position to succeed. So... They are a well-coached team, and they don't have a ton of talent. I wouldn't call them a talented offense or a talented defense. They're very balanced on both sides, especially on defense. And uh, I think Arthur Smith is a guy that should be looked at as a head coaching option in the next couple of years if he continues to put together good units like this. A little bit more of this, and he will be. And you touched on the play-action thing there, and I, like you talk about how he should be because of the whole like nerds liking play-action thing. I think part of the whole nerds whole thing is that you know they're kind of raging against the machine a little bit and these you know old football guys that are all about physical run the ball kind of don't worry too much about passing you know play action is something that these analytics guys like to say opens up the run a little bit using the pass to open up the run sure if, if you were a betting man let's say you get a prop that the titans open the game passing more or rushing more what do you think it would be do you think they try to go passing more and try to throw the Ravens defense off guard or what would you do tough one I guess short answer is run the ball they want to go test you test your metal they have had awesome run blocking from their left side of their offensive line Luan Roger Saffold uh, the name of their center is escaping me right now. Ben Jones, maybe? Yes, it is Ben Jones. Great call. Um, he's done a really good job. That left side has done a really good job. They want to go test your metal. They want to, and he wants to probe you. They're not afraid to go three and out by any means. He wants to go probe you and see what you're doing. So I think they're going to come out running the ball, and uh, they'll they'll 
hit that play action off of it. And, and Tannehill still is good on just straight dropbacks and stuff. He's had like above 100 passer rating on everything else. I think he has like a 92 against when he gets pressured, stuff like that. So he's not just a play action quarterback in this offense, but helps him find his rhythm and his ball placement's been great. So I think they're going to come out running. From like a human standpoint with Tannehill, it's like, what do you tell him in a game like this? You know, he he goes on the road last week and albeit he doesn't do much, but he gets a big one in the wildcard round over the Pats. He has never been on the playoff stage, you know, like this at all. He was kind of floundering in Miami, disappointing start to his career, you know, kind of going eight and eight every year. And it just sort of felt like, you know, he was just destined for mediocrity. Do you kind of try to instill in him that this could be a springboard for his career as a guy who's heading into his early thirties or like, what is the approach here? If you're, you're the leadership council trying to get his head right for this game. It's crazy to me that he's 31. I guess he came in when he was 24 or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So he, he started out as a receiver or something at A&M. Right. And yeah. He kind of converted a quarterback. So it took him a little while. Yeah. Um, if I'm talking to him, I mean, it's business as usual. You went into the new England and slayed the dragon. That's the daunting task that exists in football in the playoffs is going to new England. That's, you know, the toughest place to win. And he did that. And people you want to go and say, you know, he only threw for 70 yards and whatever. But when you go back and look, he did throw a freaking horrible interception. And I think I watched in the last like two or three days, like 10 Titans games. That was by far the interception that he threw against the Patriots. The worst decision, worst throw that he made. He, I went back and watched all of his play action passes. He didn't throw one pick that wasn't like him getting hit while he was throwing or off of one of his receiver's hands or something. So other than that, he made three really big throws. He had a touchdown in the red zone. And at the end of the game, he made two really nice throws on outbreaking routes to get first downs and kind of crush the Patriots, kill the clock there, keep those change moving. So I think Tanhill knows what it is. I don't think he, I don't know. I don't think he like cares as much. He feels like he's just going out there and slinging the ball. And you want him to keep doing that. Go take your shots when they're there. Be smart. Recognize the one-on-ones there and, and sling the damn ball. He's just kind of, it seems like he's just kind of having fun. I don't know what it is. Maybe it was the fact that he was on hard knocks as a rookie, but he just always struck <laughs> me as like this kind of nervy guy who's like, was a little spacey at times. And like, he does have a weird personality. Didn't really connect with like players around him. I remember there was, like I know a, him really well. Yeah, exactly. I love the, the insightful look in your eyes. Go ahead, like, go ahead, go ahead though. But yeah, so it just I don't, like, there was just like weird stories about him. Like when he would like throw interceptions to like practice squad players. And then he would like brag about how he had more money than them. It's like, dude, like, what are you doing? But it just, it seems like he's kind of having a little career renaissance for him. And I'm happy that he's kind of figuring it out and happy for him as a person, because it can, it can probably be, a, you know, emotionally difficult to have to deal with being a draft bus, but he's turning it around. And it kind of reminds me of like the Alex Smith Harbaugh thing, where he's obviously not the linchpin of the team. Right. But the fact that they've been able to get some good football out of him is very cool to see. Yeah, he kind of is similar to Alex Smith in a lot of ways. Mobile a little bit, you know, kind of not the biggest arm. Yeah, very accurate, good ball placement. Um, a little frisky back there, can run, has that deceptive white boy speed. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think that maybe his ass got humbled by all of that experience, and he goes in and backs up Mariota and shuts his mouth, and he's in his 30s now. You can't be acting a fool when you're in your freaking when you're 31 years old and if you're talking smack like that as a quarterback, you're an idiot. You sound like an idiot. So maybe got humbled and it, it looks like they've just made the game simple for him in a lot of ways. And of course it's, it's never that simple, but they're not running a million concepts out of shotgun all the time and putting all the pressure on him. And 
That's why having a running game to the hashtag analytics Twitter, hashtag causation isn't correlation community. Well, I've noticed you kind of getting a little chirpy about that. And I think their whole thing is that it's not that running doesn't matter. It's just that running backs don't matter. You know what I mean? They are about two years ago when there wasn't good running success. Like over the last two years, there's been like a running renaissance in the NFL. The 49ers are a huge part of it. Um, The Saints were a huge part of it the last couple of years, too. And I think that I agree now at this point, you know, don't pay a running back. There's eventually causation is correlation paying a running back. How many times are you going to be saying causation is correlation? You can only sound smart so many times. I I like to say it because then no one can say it back to me. And especially on Twitter, I'm going to just I just like I literally I think I just tweeted like an hour ago and said causation is not correlation i know like i'm just getting out there. you did because i saw you tweet it now you're sitting here in front of me you said causation like four is not times. Cor- i feel like bart simpson causation writing is it not on the cor- board yeah causation is not correlation causation is not correlation um when we get like when we start to get video in here we're gonna like put a wall or a uh, board up on the wall and it's just gonna all say <laughs> it's not gonna be like man cave like thing <laughs> it's just gonna be all causation is correlation exactly but i think there's been a renaissance around the ball and it just makes a quarterback's life easier when the freaking opposing defense jumps on the run game and you can run play action. And that's the whole thing. And I already made the comparison earlier. It's like the three point shot in the NBA. It is the most effective, efficient, best way to get good value passing plays that are high EPA and blah, 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 blah. So I think that he's just had life simplified from the Adam Gaze offense where it's like, all right, well, we're going to run smash concepts and levels concepts and we're going to run in and outs and all this different kinds of stuff. And, you know, you got to be able to look here and check there and blah, 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 blah. All right. Well, how many Peyton Mannings are there? Like he's him and Brady are like the two guys that have been able to do that. And they are essentially like probably the best two the, while they were playing and in their prime, they're probably two of the top five offensive coordinators in football while they were playing. They know the game through and through. 28, 25 plus guys aren't like that. Lamar Jackson's not like that. He's not, you know, that level of X's and O's and understanding all this kind of stuff. He's obviously young. Like, I wouldn't even say Mahomes is either. They make dumb throws. They make dumb decisions still. And you can't, it's just going to that thing. And I heard uh, Joe Judge, who just got hired as a Giants head coach, in his press conference, he used our favorite phrase, one of our many favorite phrases, I'm not going to put a square peg in a round hole. I don't want my coaches to tell me what a guy can't do first. I want them to tell me what a guy can do first. That's just Belichick 101. Exactly. Fit the player, then make the system around it. Make the system around the player, not vice versa. Change. Embrace change. And, I mean, you can't be the the old dog that doesn't want to learn new tricks. So that boils back down into Tannehill, 31 years old, had one, one good year in Miami, and Arthur Smith was like, hey, this guy can come in, we can run Derrick Henry and run play action and get people to stack the box, give him some simple reads, split the field in half. And he has, I swear to God, his ball placement and accuracy this year, I was going back through, I got stuck on a couple of his throws. He threw a ball to Corey Davis against the Chiefs where he drove it like 27 yards downfield. Corey Davis ran a deep, like in post curl, whatever you want to call it. And he broke to his right. As he broke to his right, Tannehill stepped and fired the ball to the left. 27 yards, perfect, perfect throw. I watched it, I think, like 50 times in a row. I made like a little six-second loop, and I was just watching it and watching and watching it. He is crazy accurate. Go back, watch a couple of the Patriots highlights to the end of the game. 
say what you want about his 70 yards and 20 of those actually came on a screen, but he made three crazy accurate throws on his 15 pass attempts and that won the game for them. So, yeah, I remember like I asked RDT like what his moment for like when he realized that, you know, Tannehill might be for real. He said the Charger game, I think I was watching that Chiefs game in an airport. Actually, I had a Chiefs game was weird. Yeah, I had, I was, you know, traveling for work. I had nothing going on. So I was just sitting there at uh, the old cantina bar or whatever it is in BWI crushing a couple of cervezas and watching uh, Ryan Tannehill. And that's an ideal Sunday. It was pretty sick. And he, I was like, damn, like, is this for real? Like, that's kind of like, it's, it wasn't that surprising to me because he's literally just like the same thing as Mariota, but more experienced, maybe a little less erratic. And uh, yeah, he's just kind of getting it done out there. So good for him. Side note, I'm getting really big Papa John's vibes from Adam Gase. Have you noticed this? What do you mean? Like when he's in press conferences, he just looks like dejected and like, He's just, he has the, he's got this dead look in his eyes. eyes. Yeah. Like it looks like a a beaten dog kind of, yeah. Like still has something to prove. When I think of like the 40 pizzas in 30 days clip, I think of that. I think of that when he's talking about like Le'Veon Bell and like, we don't know if we want him here. You're going to have to talk to Joe Douglas about that. I think of I've had 40 running backs in here in the last 30 days. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. I see that for sure. Gaze. Adam Gaze is the, the worst. <laughs> yeah, he stinks. Horrible, bold prediction. And I was the guy who picked the Jets to finish first. And yeah, think, shout out to you for that. Yeah, I, I I picked the Jets to finish first in the AFC East, and I don't I don't I didn't know that much about gays for some reason. I just liked him, and boy oh boy was I wrong. And uh, whenever the Jets' offense was at its best, it was because Darnold was making a second play after the play. But yeah, shout out Ryan Tannehill from escaping that dungeon of Adam Gaze. It's tough. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the Jets, too. I didn't, not because of Gase, more in spite of him. I thought they had a good roster, but I was wrong. And you need you do need to have a good head coach. I've been, you know, chastised for saying that sometimes, but I feel like I'm always proven right on that. Head coaching very much matters. But uh, Trickle-down coaching, maybe. Trickle-down coach. Yeah, big trickle-down guy. Um, switching over to the offense, um, what, are you, what do you think uh, Greg Roman is going to be trickling down to uh, – Lamar and sort of the leaders on the offense as far as how they want to attack this Titan defense. Tight ends are going to feast. That's number one. Jayon Brown is, I believe of anyone who's has seen 25 targets on the Titans defensively, the lowest passer rating allowed. He's their mobile linebacker kind of fits into that. Would have been a safety 10 years ago, plays linebacker now covers tight ends, covers backs does a good job in the run game for the most part. A little bit smaller, faster guy. He's out. He's already out. Titans let up, and this is a major storyline. Any Ravens article you click, it gives a little game breakdown, including my own. It's going to tell you how the Titans sucked against tight ends. Dean Pease, think about it. He was the Ravens defensive coordinator for years and years. Where did the Ravens get exploited? Running backs and tight ends in the passing game. They let up 900 yards, 80 catches, 9 touchdowns this year. Now they're without their best linebacker. Um, it's going to be zone defense. And the one thing that the Titans do that Lamar has struggled with is kind of bringing those creeper blitzers. And we've talked about those on here and that's bringing a cornerback name, mainly Logan Ryan or safety, Kenny Vaccaro. Those two have blitzed a hundred times this year. None of the other, other DBs have a ton bringing those guys in, uh, in passing situations and having them on a delay blitz, then they'll drop the outside linebacker on the other side. So if you're thinking about this in Ravens terms, it's like same thing the Ravens do. They'll they'll blitz Marlon Humphrey and they'll drop Judon into coverage on the other side of the field. That's a creeper blitz. 
simulates pressure, quote unquote. And the Chiefs did that to Lamar a ton, both times they played, and it just made Lamar check down a ton. He didn't know exactly what to do or where to go. In that situation, in those passing situations that will undoubtedly arise at times, Lamar needs to trust his pocket. That's why Mark Ingram is going to be imperative because a lot of times a running back has to go pick up a, a block and there's a hole that's created. Let's say Logan Ryan, the slot corner for the Titans, comes on one of those blitzes. He's a dude who has five sacks as a slot corner this year. Safety, Kevin Byard, is going to fill behind him. Beyond that, there's going to be money. You can find green grass behind that safety, past where that blitz came from. That's where you can go get an explosive play. And Titans are a team just like the Ravens. They were fourth and fifth in explosive plays allowed 20 yards. It's that Dean Pease, bend but don't break, classic mantra. Except Titans defense kind of sucks in the red zone. But uh, if I'm if I'm drawing up a game script, it's going to be uh, getting Lamar out in space, hitting a couple throws, and I want to take a deep shot early. I want to I want to get the ball aired out and make the Titans respect that deep ball early before I start the ground and pound. Yeah, I mean it's a thing where I think it makes a lot of sense to try and test them in that way. Uh, especially with a guy like Bayard, you know, maybe get him on his heels a little bit because he is a very good safety. But it reminds me a little bit of Hollywood Brown early in the season when they would get him involved. And then Hollywood Brown in that Cincinnati game, you take a deep shot and you convert it and that just completely changed the complexion of the game. It's like, all right, they're going to go out and dominate right from the jump. So if you can hit it, great. Then uh, you're setting a good tone there. If you don't, then whatever. At least you're keeping him honest. Um, as far as like the rushing game, with the way Ingram, that whole situation has been developing, are you focusing heavily on getting him involved early to try and, you know, state he's going to have an impact in this game or you just, you know, pitch count. They can get it done with the running backs that they have on the roster alongside him and alongside Lamar. I want Ingram in passing situations and obviously give him a couple carries. So it's not just like, Oh, Ingram comes in for passing situations, but the passing situations to me is big. Like that's, yeah, that's it is. his biggest, you know, you know, the biggest you know, impact of his would be absence, right? That would be the biggest loss. And Getting him, he's a guy who can go beat a linebacker on a nice route, whereas Gus Edwards is like worked on finding space and catching the ball, and then Justice Hill has shined at times, but he, we've talked about him. But Ingram, I don't, I don't necessarily want him taking a beating early. I mean, it truly depends. I don't know what the calf situation is. You don't know what the calf situation is, but on, in those passing situations, you're you're certainly going to need him. I would like to see, uh, I would like to see Lamar go test them, and Lamar's had three weeks rest. You know, one hit, whatever you want to call it, blah, 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 blah. Test those edges early. See what they're doing, what their little plan is going to be, and then be ready to adapt quickly on the sideline. See how they're going to fill. And everyone points back to when the Ravens played Kaepernick and Dean Pease was the Ravens defensive coordinator in Super Bowl 47. And Terrell Suggs was hitting Colin Kaepernick every time he had the ball. And Dean Pease was interviewed about that. And he said, that has basically said that has no relevance. Like you see some of the same things there. Greg Roman is a completely different coach. These are different players. It's not like that football, the option attack, the run game has advanced so much. So early on, I mean, test them. They're going to do the same thing. There's going to be a war of attrition on both sides of the field. Who's going to win that line of scrimmage. And they've got a guy, Jarrell Casey. They've also got uh, Draymond Jones, who's an Ohio state dude done a really good job this year. And, you know, they've got Kamale Correa and Harold Landry on the edge. Two guys are pretty stout. And go see. Go see if they're going to chase you to the sideline. See how they're going to have Kenny Vaccaro come down to the box. What he's going to do. He's a thumper. Um, test it. Test the option. Test test these things early. And take a shot. See if you can beat him on a big play. And, I mean, that's the thing. The comfortability of having Lamar is that 
it can be third and five and you're fine. You know, he can go pick up those five yards with his legs. He can go drop a little sidearm into one of the tight ends, something like that. But uh, just, you know, it's the cliche, get the quarterback in rhythm early and see what they're going to do. Are they going to do the scrape exchange like the 49ers did? Are they going to have Bosa come hit Lamar and uh, try to hit the quarterback every time? Or, excuse me, are they going to have Bosa hit the running back every time and then another defender try to peel off for Lamar? Are they going to just leave one defender to chill with Lamar and and see what they kind of do like Pittsburgh did? So it's kind of just testing out those waters early on. And I just don't see the athleticism up front of the Titans to be able to, to hang with Lamar. We don't talk a ton about pace, but that's something I think about a lot as far as... Especially the, in the playoffs. Yeah. So, like, are you... What is the deal here? Are you going to start up with a slow pace, maybe try to grind it out, or do you want to put the pressure on them, go quickly, don't let them make a lot of substitutions on defense? What's your approach if you're Roman? I'd like to use those tight ends. The Titans really struggle against 21 personnel, 12 personnel, 13 personnel. They're amazing. They're really elite against 11, against those three wide receiver sets and stuff. So go put Pat Ricard in the game. Go put Nick Boyle in the game. Get Andrews and Hurst in there. Hollywood. We've talked about this, but more so than ever, this is a team that, if you watch the Patriots game last week, the Patriots had a Landon Roberts in at fullback, a guy who's trying to do his best Pat Ricard impression. Sonny Michelle gashed the Titans a few times. James White had a big run there too. So they're going to... Come down into the box, get those get those slow linebackers, Rashawn Evans and Wesley Woodard down, but also get the line of scrimmage so you can talk to Lamar. You've got up to 15 seconds. That's what the Rams did with Jared Goff and led him to a Super Bowl, getting at the line of scrimmage, seeing the defense, seeing the personnel, so you can talk to him. And I think it's good to get to the line of scrimmage quickly, be able to be multiple with those tight ends, and rely on those big boys. They don't have Jayon Brown. Time to feast. Interesting. So without Jayon Brown, what is the impact there? That the middle of the field is going to be open, that the tight ends are going to win one-on-one, that the running backs are going to win one-on-one a lot of the time. Those two linebackers they have are, are mics, they're thumpers, and Jayon Brown was their will. They're a guy who's going to be able to drop back and be the guy who runs and chases, kind of like Peanut, uh, faster, but not necessarily a thumper with the offensive lineman stuff. So it just opens stuff up. They don't. The athleticism in the passing game isn't there. It, it maybe makes you have to have Kevin Byard come down a little more and play the tight ends a little more, trust your corners some. And I don't think we've seen Hollywood Brown get one-on-one press at all, ever. And the Ravens start putting him in the slot and moving him around to try and free him up some. But if you start hitting those tight ends, see if you can get one of those one-on-ones. And Hollywood just truly beats guys. And a lot of guys point to A.J. Brown and Metcalf and Samuel and all these guys, but Hollywood has gotten so much respect this year as an outside receiver and being off of him, letting him go get a dig route and fall down and get his 15 yards, but never letting him run clean uh, in a one-on-one. So try and try and get them to fall into that with those tight ends and see if you can move some pieces around. But I don't think uh, a big difference for me overall with this offense, and people like to point, like I said, to the, the Super Bowl, the Ravens run motion every like every play, every other play. There's motion or a quick snap, and it just gets those numbers advantages. And it's going to be difficult for the Titans to stop with Boyle and Ricard. You can put those two guys at tight end next to each other. All of a sudden, you've got seven 300 pound guys basically on the line. And I'd look to see some unbalanced line. Let's go put Ronnie Stanley. See what Ronnie Stanley can do 
at tight end next to Orlando Brown with Nick Boyle next to him and then put Pat Ricard in at left tackle or something of the sort and see how they play that and run some pass plays out of that, do some funky stuff. It's playoffs. It's time. Speaking of, you know, all those different types of players that you're talking about at the skill spots, if you had to bet money on a player, let's keep passing out of it. Who do you think is going to lead the team in yards from scrimmage and receiving and rushing? Mark Andrews is going to have eight catches, 80 yards, a touchdown, something like that. Is that the absence of Brown, you think? or That and with Brown, they still weren't great. against Brown played the whole year. They weren't great against tight ends. Uh, I think Lamar leads the team in rushing. I think he's ready to roll. He's been chilling, waiting, festering in a way for this game. So I think Lamar's going to lead in rushing yards. And uh, I can see Gus having like, you know, 10 carries, 50 yards, 40 yards. Ingram having like 11, 10 carries for like 35 yards and a touchdown, something like that. Uh, but I think it's it's going to be the usual culprit. It's going to be Andrews, Lamar on the ground with the two backs and uh, this, the same kind of story. And luckily the... Titans defense isn't great at stopping the strengths of the Ravens offense. Okay. So I guess that's enough actually the nose preview, like some more big picture stuff. You've talked about that whole super Saiyan moment that you've been talking about with Lamar specifically, where he just kind of flies off the handle and sort of takes over the game. What are some ways to maybe, because he's, it's been circulating that that playoff loss to the chargers has been fueling him and he doesn't want to talk about it. And, He's clearly kind of emotional about making his return to the playoffs here. How do you kind of harness that energy a little bit if you're the coaching staff? Embrace him instead of caution. And those are the big picture from 2018-19 into 2019-20 seasons. The training wheels came back on last year in the playoffs. They didn't want him dictating the game as a passer. They wanted to try and roll him out or whatever and run him and, and let him kind of protect. They try to protect him from not a physical standpoint, but from a like passing standpoint in a way instead of embracing him. And then the second half of that game, it's, it's a pretty big, you know, flip where they were like, all right, well shit, we can't do that. They're shutting it down. We've got to let, we've got to go five wide. We've got to get him in space, see if he can make a man miss get a safety to bite on something where he's running and then float the ball over top. And that's where he's at his best. So go five wide at times. Sometimes I hate the five wide, but so many explosive plays have happened out of it and uh, see what kind of pressure the Titans bring. He really trusts that offensive line. Now Lamar Jackson does. And uh, let's, let's see if he can truly do it himself. It's he's the MVP of the league. Go let it be his show, get him in a rhythm early and then spread it out. Unleash, let him run, let him go take you to a Super Bowl. Um, it, it's, you know, you made it through the regular season. You played with caution at times, but not really. They've embraced aggressiveness, the fourth downs, the running, the read option, all that stuff. Uh, they've, they've truly adopted a physical hunter attitude, a predator attitude as an offense where they're the aggressor and the other team has to adjust. So just keep on keeping on with that. Let's say things don't get off to a great start and you're going into halftime and maybe it's a very close game or, you like know, 13, 10 tight. Maybe they're even losing. Yeah. And like Lamar it was la- no, it was 14, 13 Titans for the Patriots game, but go ahead. Yeah. Right. So like maybe they're losing, maybe Lamar hasn't played well. What is the message to him at that point? Make adjustments, you know, be smart. And the only times we've seen Lamar play poorly this season is when he's in a rush, when he doesn't have that poise in the pocket 
where he kind of can make a quick decision. I'm going to go here, read my progressions, and I'm going to take off. So just instilling him, you have to trust your offensive line. The Titans are 30th in the NFL in pressure rate. They don't have great pass rushers. They don't blitz a ton. They don't get a lot of pressure. They like to bend but don't break, but their red zone defense sucks. I think they let up 32 touchdowns and 47 red zone trips. So um, be, he has to be patient. Just be patient, make your throws, hit them. You have the better team. You have the better offense. You have the better off. Your your line is better than their defensive line, so trust them. If they want to bring all that pressure, run man stuff, that's atypical what the Titans do. They're a big zone team, not a big blitzing team, so I'd expect it to be the same. And uh, take your time and pick them apart. Okay, I like it. It seems kind of like a situation where you just want to have everything sort of settle down, just go out there, do your thing, take care of your business. You're the MVP. You're on the best team. As far as the entire team, what do you think Harbaugh's kind of last message to them is before they run out of the tunnel? This is what we've been waiting for. This is our our time. They knew they were a playoff team. This team felt very confident uh, early on, came out of the gate 2-0, and had to go play a tough game, had a weird game against the Browns. We've talked about that 10 billion times. We have. And they uh, they have been waiting for two months, really. I mean, it's been eight games. They were established. They were running away with the AFC North. It was looking like you get at least one home playoff game. This is redemption. This is what we've been waiting for. This is what we practice for. This is your time. Go get it. Okay. I like that very much. So pretty lengthy episode here, it would appear. It's um, a playoffs. We're stepping it up, baby. Yeah, we certainly are. It feels like we had maybe been dragging a little bit there for the past week. So uh, it's a good thing that we are getting back it's to the bye week. We got an off week. It goes the holidays. You, you, our listeners, you know what the deal is. I just feel bad, man. I just I need to be making content. At all times. We did. I mean, other big podcasts, they do their little best of episode. No. We yeah, no, you guys no. Content. We're, we're recording during that time. No one's doing that, man. Shout out to us. Shout out to us, indeed. 2020, we're going to vibe more. But, yeah, we're, we're going to vibe harder in 2020. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't get that, I wrote that down on my list of goals for this year. It's just to vibe harder. Yeah. Candle guy, feel the vibes. Exactly. I'm just I trying love to, it. I'm just trying to embrace... The, uh, you know, potentially Fugazi uh, vibe culture. I, I don't really care, though. I like it. It's a wazzy, it's a woozy, it's Fugazi. So, yeah, um, that's an episode. I uh, really hope you guys enjoyed the interview. We Nothing really to say on them yet, but we potentially have some really cool interviews lined up for the coming couple of weeks. So keep an eye out for those. Uh, and I don't know, man. You got anything else you want to throw in there regarding the game or literally anything? Throw it out there. I think I made my prediction when we recorded earlier this week, 31-20. I don't think the Titans are scoring 20, and I don't think the Ravens are scoring 30. I think it's in the 20s to the 10s. I'm going to go 26 to 16. I'm such a pro and a content guy that I forgot to give my prediction. Um yeah, so I think I, we did we did predictions on Tuesday, but did we? These, yeah, I think so. But these are our final predictions here. Okay, so I was on with our boy Cam Rogers on his podcast literally before we started recording this, and I said Raven. I'm a big weird score guy, so I said Ravens 31, Titans 18. And uh, weird scores are fun. I feel like they end up being more accurate in the playoffs. We saw what 17 nine out of the Philly and Seahawks game, and. Uh, some weird there's always ends up being some weird two-point conversions and 
failed two point conversions and stuff like that. So I like I like thirty one eighteen. My original was thirty one twenty, but I think the Ravens have like a decent lead in the second half and just end the game in like with like three minutes left in the third quarter or like ten minutes left in the fourth quarter and just have a couple of those meaty six minute drives. You know, I love those meaty drives. Yeah, um, I'm a meaty drives guy. I'm uh, Robert De Niro and the Irishman. I drive a meat truck full of drives. It was, a, it was a little bit disrespectful by you there. Gotta be honest. Jimmy, what are you doing here? I I swear. Your I, finances are all out of whack. I swear, Jimmy, you're uh, No, you're going to be fine. But did you do it? Did, did you do it? You, 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 you did me, it, didn't you? Me, you want me to tell you if I did it? Don't ever ask me about my business. Ask me about my wiener. Different movies. A couple different movies there. And ended, ended it out on a strong note with a little Joan Hill. Yeah, well, when you've been going for as long as we have, then makes sense. But uh, yeah, I guess that right there is a the show. What do you think? 26-16 Ravens. Boom. Okay, fair enough. So we have a 26-16 and a 31-18 to on the record. A couple weird scores there. You'd love to see it. Uh, if you guys like what you heard, please subscribe to the show. Uh, five stars now wherever you get your podcast leave it that five star rating if you can with a little bit of a nice review so we got another one on there on itunes so shout out to whoever left that one uh and it was not a roast which i very much appreciate i don't know about spencer uh but i'm a sensitive soul so it was good to see uh you can take needs forehead kisses in the reviews guys okay that's unnecessary shot (laughs) um he does he says he's a sensitive soul appreciate it remember the original content is mean to Spencer, nice to Jake, five stars. Agreed. But I don't know if people are always following that. that mean guy. to Spencer, nice to Jake, five stars. Okay. Yeah. If you like the uh, show, you can follow it on social media. Uh, you can follow the website, baltimorebeatdown.com. Uh, you can follow it on Facebook at Baltimore Beatdown for Baltimore Ravens fans, I think is the uh, name there. Maybe workshop that name a little bit. Something Talk to like Kyle that. about that. Uh, you can... Uh, Follow the show on Twitter at Podcast Beatdown. You can follow us as well. My handle is at Jake Luke. That's L-O-U-Q-U-E. And you can follow Spencer at Ravens4Dummies. That's the number four in the middle there. And uh, until Monday, guys, uh, happy hunting. See ya. You see, I don't I ain't no big sack, man. I don't like sacks, man. Mm-hmm. See, sacks take me out of my game. I like running yeah, folks down. I like intercessions and touchdowns. Busting up the streams and blocking punts. Like, <laughs> you in the gutter. You yeah, in, I like you that. You in the gun. I like body. that bump you of grass. <laughs> <laughs> he like the trick work. That boy like to get down. Like down and dirty. I like busting up screens. Yeah. <laughs> I just like hitting quarterbacks. Yeah. That's, 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 that's my plan. That's, that's a nice. I grab a quarterback. <laughs> 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 bang, bang, bang. All day. <laughs> <laughs>